It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand, and Merry Christmas, as we continue on with our month-long Very Merry Christmas celebration. And this week, for the week of December 18th, 2014, show number 94, we have some holiday fun for you, because all show long, we're keeping you into the holiday spirit with many things that you've passed on to generations, to your children, your families. You sit down as a family and watch many of these classics, from many of our Disney favorites, like Mickey's Christmas, Carol, as well as Once Upon a Christmas, Twice Upon a Christmas, and also some of those Rankin-Bass classics, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Now you're going to ask me, how is Rankin-Bass and Disney going to connect up together with this week's show? Well, let's think back to those holiday records. Yes, those vintage Disneyland records. Many of those we love, like the Christmas time records that Disneyland Records put out, as well as Frosty's Winter Wonderland, Twas the Night, The Hobbit, many Rankin-Bass classics that were released on Disneyland Records as well. And to help us celebrate our very Merry Christmas celebration with many of the classics you pass on to generations, we have none other than Rick Goldschmidt here this week here on the show. Now Rick is the official historian and author behind Rankin Bass. He is the one that knows everything about the company and he is the one that is the official historian for all things Rankin Bass from Rudolph, Frosty and many of the specials that we're going to tackle. And Rick's going to stop in and talk about a variety of different things about Rankin Bass, Rudolph's 50th anniversary as well as the infamous Disneyland records with Frosty's Winter Wonderland, Twas the Night and many other classics. Now no show would be complete this holiday season without the D-Team. Yes, you have questions and he has answers and Aaron's going to dip his hand in that virtual mailbag and answer all your questions in I Want to Know. We also have the latest as to what's going on within the Walt Disney World Resorts with WDW and 2 with Caitlin and let's take a look back at what happened this week in Disney history with Nathan. We also have to go down into vault because Come on, no Christmas would be complete without those holiday movies, and Jason's going to go deep into the vault and add another Blu-ray and DVD to your collection and holiday viewing this Christmas. And let's not forget the songs, the music of the season, and we have Paige stopping back with the Magical Music Review. And let's not forget, as we're all shivering in the cold, there is one of our D-Team members, our D-Team member from Down Under Lexi, as she's having Christmas on the beach, in the sun, in the hot summer sand, as she's going to stop in with this week's Hollywood Walk. So all you DNs. We have all kinds of fun on the horizon, many different things. So before I kick off this show, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by DVC-Rental.com. At DVC-Rental.com, you can save up to 60% off your next Walt Disney World vacation just by purchasing unused Vacation Club points from Vacation Club members. There you can stay at the best of the Walt Disney World resorts with the Grand Floridian, the Polynesian, Animal Kingdom, and many other 
fantastic locations. Just save up to 60% and save that money that you can spend maybe on some souvenirs just by booking through dvc-rental.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So, all of you D-heads, with that said, I am in the holiday spirit. Christmas is just a week away. So let's officially kick off show number 94 for the week of December 18th, 2014. How else? By kicking off some of those Disneyland records. Be right back, all of you D-heads. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him names They never let poor Rudolph Join in any reindeer games Then one foggy Christmas Eve Santa came to say so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, and they shouted out with glee. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph. With your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, and they shouted out with glee. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. Grand prize was... Cooper, in their dealings with... Dressed envelope to... Davis and Kirk. Right down that. Oh, Crystal. Friday is Frosty's wedding day. I will not allow it. It will melt your heart like it does Jack Frost's. Then Nestor has a big problem. There's nothing he can do. That turns into the nicest Christmas gift of all. Watch Friday. This is Rick Goldschmidt, the official historian biographer for Rankin Bass Productions, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. gonna come to life? Of course not. He's not Frosty the Snowman. Only the real Frosty can come to life. Gee, I wish he'd come back from the North Pole. Yeah, it's not warm here anymore. He wouldn't melt. He said he'd come back again someday. I wonder if he really meant it. Well, certainly he meant it. Mm -hmm. 
You all remember that day Frosty left. Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way. But he waved goodbye saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. the old familiar tale how Frosty came to life but do you know the story of how Frosty took a wife Frosty the snowman is a fairy tale they say he was made of snow but the children know how he came to life one day It's Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, so I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 94 for the week of December 18th, 2014. And as I said before... Merry Christmas. That's right. I have been excited all month long to bring you our very Merry Christmas celebration shows. And I am extra excited to connect two of my favorite loves. Disney, of course, with Disney On Demand, and Rankin Bass with Rick Goldschmidt stopping in here very shortly here at the show as we're going to talk about a variety of different things from Rudolph Frosty, many things from the Rankin Bass catalog, as well as the Disneyland records associated with Rankin Bass. We also have the D-Team back. Yes, we have Caitlin, Aaron, Jason, Lexi, Paige, and Nathan all stopping you with their signature segments and all kinds of fun. So, all of you D-heads, with that said, I'm going to get it out of the way. There is a ton of news, but I'm only going to give you just a hint of news here this week. Because Christmas is coming about, I just want to have a fun, holiday-filled, great episode here this week at Disney On Demand. But before I jump off to news hot off the D-wire, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z-Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more, including our Lifetime of Disney player, right there on the homepage at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can friend us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash John Diz. That's J-O-N-D-I-Z. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and more. Just search Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Diz Radio. D-I-Z Radio. And remember, you can always subscribe to our latest shows right there on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and get the latest shows right there on your tablet, your iPhones, your mobile devices, and more right there by subscribing in Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And remember, you can get all these links and more on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. 
So all of you D-heads, with that said, everything is out of the way. I'm excited, so I'm just going to give you a hint of news and then kind of give you a couple of other things here for the holidays as we move into this week's show, especially with our special guest, the historian of Rankin Bass, Rick Goldschmidt, stopping in here very shortly. So jumping right off the news, hot off the D-wire, how about Disney Replay airing throwbacks of Christmas episodes? That's right, they have a variety of different throwbacks that they've been doing lately with their Disney Replay, one of the highest-rated evenings for Disney Channel is the Disney Replay. Now, if it wasn't the best throwback Thursday here this week, how about Disney Channel is offering the greatest replay schedule that they've seen since they've had Disney Replay in the last couple of months? That's right, hitting it up on the Disney Channel is they're going to curl up with some hot cocoa, really get your, your, I guess, the warm fuzzies going if you're a fan of the Disney Channel, and some of those, uh, I guess, modern Disney Channel classics. It's not really a complete throwback, but they are going to have Even Stevens, heck of a Hanukkah, Come on, you can't go wrong with some early Shia LaBeouf. You also have Phil of the Future with Christmas Break. There's Shake It Up with Jingle It Up. And also going far back with some Hilary Duff and Lizzie McGuire with Here Comes Aaron Carter. Now, everybody knows that Disney Replay is continuing to be very popular. Ever since they did away with Vault Disney with a lot of the classics, what about the newer generation of D-heads out there? Yes, I'm talking to many of you. You know, some of these, they don't pertain to me. I'm kind of an older guy, but... They are for my kids and other people out there, and this is a great way to throw back to some of these great episodes. It's something that is needed, and I believe it was kind of in correlation with how popular Nickelodeon's throwbacks are. So now, Disney Replay, in keeping with the holidays, you can get Christmas episodes of Even Stevens, Fill the Future, Shake It Up, and Lizzie McGuire. Check it out on the Disney Channel. Now, since we are talking about the Disney Channel, let's bring in some of my loves. And I love Star Wars. And now that Star Wars is part of the Disney umbrella, now I can talk about Star Wars here on the show, which I'm excited about. And one of those things I am excited about is Star Wars Rebels. That's right, I was not a fan of the Clone Wars. I just, it was not just calling out to me, let's just say that. Anything that brings Darth Maul back to life, just, it rules me out. But, Star Wars Rebels is a fantastic animated series, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. And this is one I sit down and I enjoy with my boys. Yes, both my boys and I, we sit down and watch Star Wars Rebels. Well, now Disney XD on New Year's Eve is going to have a Star Wars Rebels marathon. Yes, what better way to celebrate New Year's Eve is there to watch than a marathon of back-to-back episodes on Disney XD of the Star Wars Rebels show. That's right, the marathon, which is going to start at 4 p.m. on Wednesday, December 31st, is going to kick off with a one-hour Star Wars Rebels Spark of the Rebellion that also includes the added scene. If you remember, Spark of the Rebellion originally just ended as it was. Now you're wondering, what am I talking about? Well, the added scene does have the cameo of Darth Vader himself. Yes, Vader makes an appearance in that initial episode. So now you can go to a galaxy far, far away on New Year's Eve and catch up on all the episodes in order. I mean, that is a fantastic cast that is behind this. And Star Wars Rebels premiered on Disney XD this last October. And it follows the crew that's between Episode 3 and Episode 4. So it's kind of in that gray zone of wiping out all the Jedis. Now, there are a lot of great people that are involved with this, including a great cast, including Freddie Prince Jr., who's known as Kanan. You have Vanessa Marshall as Hera. You have Steve Blum as Zeb. And many others behind this, including Taylor Gray, as Ezra. Now, they've already had some great people involved with this. We've already seen Obi-Wan Kenobi, R2-D2, C-3PO, and also Rex. Yes, for all of you Disney fans, from Star Tours, Rex has also been in this series as well. So if you haven't watched Star Wars Rebels yet, catch up for it 
on New Year's Eve. Come on, if you are just a fan of the Disney parks, at least in Star Tours, you can even catch Rex. So definitely check it out. Kicking off 4 p.m. on Wednesday, December 31st to kick off New Year's Eve. Now, since we were talking about the parks and I was bringing up Star Tours, how about Disney Springs? Now, we all know and remember Pleasure Island. I myself miss the Adventurers Club, which now has become Downtown Disney, and we all know is shifting gears again to become Disney Springs. Well, now there's nine retailers that are trying to get in as part of the Disney Springs shop. That's right, Disney Springs is going to have a variety of different opportunities for retailers to come about, and now there are some shops that want to get in the mix as part of the all-new Disney Springs. You have Oakley Sales, which everybody knows, Oakley Sunglasses. There's L Octane Inc. I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but it's a Paris-based provider of beauty, skincare, bath, and body products. Now, there's also Connectscape Steam and Power, a California-based shop that sells unique and old knickknacks. Now, there's also Irwin Pearl Retailer, a New York-based fashion jewelry designer, and Aaron McKenna's Bakery Valentine, which appears to be a spin-off to the former downtown Disney shop Baby Cakes NYC. Now, there is a variety of great things that they are going to have, including Great Irish Pubs Florida, Inc. Yes, the owner and operator of Raglan Road at Downtown Disney, that they want to have something new around the corner. So, Disney Springs is going to be coming up, booming, and getting ready. Now, let's shift gears here, literally, and talk about trains. Now, if it seems like I'm talking fast, we have a big show here this week, LVG Heads. And how about Walt Disney? And we all know Walt Disney loved trains. Now, how about an all-new exhibit showcasing Walt Disney's love of locomotives? Now, Walt Disney's passion for trains and his narrow-gauge railroads in Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and everywhere else have the All Aboard, a celebration of a Walt Disney's trains, an all-new exhibition at the Walt Disney Family Museum featuring around 200 artifacts, archival videos, models, and first-hand accounts of his longtime interest in the subject. Now, a spectacular train engine and descriptions of special railroad cars, both named for Walt Disney's wife, are prominent at the museum. Lily Bell, the engine, was used to pull the miniature train around Walt Disney's home in Holmby Hills. Now, the Lily Bell, the presidential car, is the last surviving unit of the Disneyland Railroad from the opening day of the park from 1955. Now, it's a 1-8 scale model of a steam engine, number 173. Now, it's fabricated in the Walt Disney Studios machine shop with Disney's hands-on participation, and it's now part of the museum's permanent exhibit. Now, the full-size train car decorated in mahogany, select hardwoods, and stained glass panels is described and illustrated both in the permanent collection and in a special exhibit which is going to be adjacent to Diane Disney Miller's Exhibition Hall. Now, this car has been seen and ridden by millions of people around Disneyland, and its first VIP guests were Emperor Hiroshio and Empress Nagato. Now, earlier this year, the car was taken out of general use, restricted to special occasions, in order to assure its preservation. Now, to this day, Disneyland offers a three-hour tour for railroad enthusiasts. Now, this has backstage access to the roundhouse, where the steam engines are stored and services, and many other things. Now, All Aboard is curated by Michael Campbell, president of the Carrollwood Pacific Historical Society, whose members, dressed in authentic railroad garb, is going to be presenting at the show. Now, Campbell's love of steam engines was sparked by a childhood trip to Disneyland, and he's been a leader in preserving and publicizing Disney's devotion to trains ever since. Now, if you want to attend this all aboard a celebrations of Walt's trains, it is taking place at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco, and it is taking place from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily, except when it's closed on Tuesdays and, of course, Christmas Day 
and New Year's Day. Now it is going to run through February 9th. Now if you want to get into this exhibit, tickets run from $15 to $25. And if you want to find out more, you can visit WaltDisney.org for more information about this. Now pushing right along here in Disney news, there's some other things I do want to talk about, but I'm going to shift those off to our next show. Yes, that's me literally lifting my notes around here, all of you D-heads. But let's get to the Oscars 2015. And how about Disney's Maleficent and Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy among some of the films that are shortlisted for makeup honors. Yes, Hollywood special effects makeup icon Rick Baker, known for his work on working everything from American Werewolf in London to Men in Black to the original Star Wars, could be headed for his eighth Oscar this coming February. The live-action Disney scary tale Maleficent, on which Baker played a key behind-the-scenes role, has been revealed as among seven films to advance in the race for the 2015 Oscar for makeup and hairstyling. Now, according to the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts and Sciences released its seven films, its shortlist this last Monday. Now, the list includes only the titles of the shortlisted films, not the names behind the makeup artists who could earn nominations for each film. But among many of these who are going to be part of it for the arts and hairstyling branch are now going to have The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Foxcatcher, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Guardians of the Galaxy, Maleficent, Noah, and The Theory of Everything. Now, the 87th Annual Academy Awards are going to be handed out in the ceremony on February 22nd from the live broadcast in Hollywood, airing on ABC television with Neil Patrick Harris is going to host once again. So, all of you D-heads, as I mentioned, I'm keeping news very short here this week. There's a ton more news on the horizon, but it's Christmas. Christmas is coming up in just under a week, so I don't want to bog you down with a ton of news. I'm excited. You know, we went and we looked at Christmas lights. We had fun. We've already made some gingerbread houses in my house. We've made cookies. And, of course, I do have my infamous leg lamp out, and I am drinking eggnog from my moose mug. And if you don't believe me, ask the D-team, because they will vouch for it. These are truly items that I do have. If you follow me on Instagram, you know these are items that I do have in my house. So definitely, these are just great ways to celebrate the holidays. You know, we've already watched Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, Twice Upon a Christmas, and of course, many other staples that aren't related to Disney, and of course, Rankin Bass. You know, we're going to be talking with Rick Goldschmidt here very shortly as well, and Rudolph, Frosty, Frosty's Winter Wonderland, Jack Frost so many others around the bend. So, all VD heads, with that said, I'm just going to release the reins to the D-team for a while because you have questions, he has answers. Aaron's going to be back with I Want to Know. We also have the latest from the Walt Disney World Resort with WDW and 2 with our very own Caitlin. And let's not forget what just happened this day in Disney history as we have Nathan taking us back as what happened within the company. We have Lexi, our D-team member from Down Under with this week's Hollywood Walk and also the Magical Music Review and The Vault with Jason and Paige. And man, there is just so many things on the horizon. So all of you D-heads, with that said, before I let you go with a little more tidbits here in Release Reigns, the D-team, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by DVC-Rental.com. At DVC-Rental.com, you can save up to 60% on your next Walt Disney World trip by purchasing unused Vacation Club points from DVC members. Now, all you do is purchase these unused points, and you can stay at the best Walt Disney World resorts, including the Grand Floridian, the Polynesian, Animal Kingdom, and more, and like I said, save up to 60% on your next stay 
at the Walt Disney World Resort just by booking through dvc-rental.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I'm going to release the reins to the D-team. I'm going to pour myself another glass of eggnog here, uh, right, right in my moose mug. I'm not lying here, but I am wearing my Mickey Santa hat with my Mickey ears. So I, I'm, I'm covered all around. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I'm going to release the reins to the D-team, and the next time you hear me, I'm going to have Rick Goldschmidt, yes, the historian of Rankin Bass, on talking about Rudolph, Frosty, Disneyland Records, and many other things. Be right back, all of you D-heads. As you can tell, I am in the holiday mood. Santa is about to come, and I am stoked. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. And on the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me
Christmas Together, starring John Denver and John's special guest stars, Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Fuzzy Bear, Gonzo, Floyd, Scooter, and Rolf. Hello, this is Haley Mills, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Hi there, it's Caitlin here with WDWN2, a quick look at what's happening in the parks. Holidays Around the World is going on at Epcot now through December 30th. If you're in the parks, be sure to check out the great live music. The Mariachi Band in Mexico is always a favorite of mine, and they play an amazing version of Silent Night. Don't miss it. In Magic Band news, there are four new styles available for purchase this month. If you're interested in upgrading, you now have Sorcerer Mickey, Minnie's Classic Polka Dots, Stitch, or the Disney Princesses as an option for just $19.95. And not to worry, all of your information can be synced from one Magic Band to another. Have you ever eaten at the Tusker House Restaurant in Animal Kingdom for a character breakfast or lunch? Well, I've got good news. They'll now be open for dinner starting March 8th. Eat with Donald Duck, Goofy, Daisy, and Mickey, all decked out in their safari duds. But don't forget to book your reservations early. The price for adults is $41.99, and for kids, it's $19.99. Are you counting down for your next Disney trip? If you are, check out the Disney Parks blog or their Pinterest page for a cute Days Till Disney countdown calendar. Each number is inspired by a different Disney character. You could make everything from banners to personal countdown calendars with these cute printables, so make sure to check it out. Thanks for listening, and until next time, don't forget, you can fly! Come over here, you'll find a wonderful surprise. You'll have to plug into the central computer to hear what it is. That's right. No, it's not a phase vector. It's your Christmas present. Chimneys big and round, so you can come right down. 
touch with the Quaker converter isn't complete yet. It isn't finished. Lock in your circuits again quickly. Envelope to Davis and Kirk. Write down that piece. Frosty the Snowman. Sponsored by McDonald's. Good time, great taste. That's why this is my place. The Happy Meal Players present Ronald McDonald and his singing dogs. Good time, great taste. The good time, great taste of McDonald's! Take a bow wow, guys. Look who's dropped in at McDonald's. The stars of Walt Disney's new movie, Oliver and Company. And when you buy McDonald's Happy Meal, you'll get one of four character finger puppets. Oliver, Dodger, Francis, or Georgette. Hi, Oliver! McDonald's Happy Meal. You can collect all four. <laughs> You have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D-Heads, this is Aaron, and I'm back with another installment of I Want to Know. Me and the family just got back from our traditional weekend in Branson to see all the Christmas lights, and they were awesome. Silver Dollar City isn't Walt Disney World, but they do a great job. Hope everyone is enjoying this time of year. Well, the virtual mailbag is full, so let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Aiden C. of Indiana, and he writes, Disney On Demand Podcast, I recently found your show and think it is cool. I have a question about the song you played on show 92. It was the second song, I think. Jiminy Cricket was singing a song about Kris Kringle. Where can I find that song, and when was it released? Thank you. Well, it's a catchy song, isn't it? The song is called Kris Kringle, the album was called Christmas Favorites, and it was released in 1958. But there's a great video on YouTube, and you can hear the song on there. Well, our next question is from Allie, and she writes, Good evening, Aaron. Great segment, always learning. With the holidays here, I was thinking about all the great Disney Christmas specials, music, and parks. In Mickey's Christmas Carol... I know that Uncle Scrooge is Alan Young. He is Scrooge. But I remember someone saying he did voice Mickey Mouse once. Do you know when that was? Because I don't see that listed on IMBD or anywhere. 
Thanks a bunch. Well, you're referring to Walt Disney Productions' Mickey's Christmas Carol LP. Alan Young narrated the album and did the voices for Scrooge and Mickey Mouse. It included a 12-page, full-color, read-along book. Well, our final question this week is from Tiffany Schuster of Flint, Michigan, and she writes, Hey, Diz Radio, question for you. I say Ernest Saves Christmas is a Disney movie, and my husband says it is not. I say it is because it is a division of Disney, I think being Touchstone Pictures. What are your thoughts? Thank you for the help in the debate. Well, this movie I haven't seen in a really long time. But it is a funny one, as Ernest tries, as only Ernest can, to help Santa find his successor. You are correct, Tiffany. Touchstone Pictures is one of several film distribution banners of the Walt Disney Studios owned by the Walt Disney Company. Established on February 16, 1983, by then-Disney CEO Ron W. Miller as Touchstone Films, it typically released films that featured more mature themes and darker tones than those that were released under the flagship Walt Disney Pictures label. They've released a lot of great films under this banner. The first movie released by Touchstone was Splash in 1984. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for the great questions and keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads, and Merry Christmas. Mm, let's see. Macduff owes me. <laughs> I owe McDougal. <laughs> ah, money, money. Money. The only thing that counts with me is money. Ah. The only thing I'm counting on is cash. The happiest time of day is when I put my coins away, lock them up, bolt the door and dream about moustache. As a philanthropic fellow, I'm a failure. But as a miser, I'm a smash. The only thing that counts for me is M-O-N-E-Y. You see, the only thing I'm counting on is cash. The only thing that counts with him is money. Money! The only thing he's counting on is gold. Uh-huh. Nobody could exceed this individual for greed. Scrooge is cheap. What a creep. His heart is meaningful. They tell you that you cannot buy contentment. Oh, but that philosophy is trash. The only thing that counts with me is M-O-N-E-Y. You see, the only thing I'm counting on is cash. The only thing that counts with him is money. Money! The only thing he's counting on is gold. Nobody could exceed this individual for green. Scrooge is cheap. What a creep. His heart is mean. That you cannot buy contentment. Oh, sorry, but that philosophy is trash. I didn't mean it. The only thing that counts with me is M-O-N-E-Y. You see, the only thing I'm counting on is cash. Cash money.
Smosh. And a Merry Christmas to you, Master Fred. Well, yes, my Uncle Scrooge. I want to invite you to dinner. Who's there? Hi, I'm Robbie Benson, the author of I'm Not Dead Yet and also The Beast. And you're listening to Disney On Demand. Hey, Vern, you've got to see my new holiday movie. It's called Ernest Saves Christmas. It's a great movie, Vern. And it's all about how I helped Santa out of this tough jam and I had to drive the sleigh with all the reindeer. Let's see, there was Donner and Blitzen and Comet, and uh, Shorty, and Lance, and Doc, and Sneezy, and, and Vern, those reindeer made one heck of a mess. Uh-huh. Ernest Saves Christmas, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you, check newspaper for showtime. Hi again, D-heads, and happy holidays. Welcome to another installment of This Week in Disney History. I'm Nathan, and ready to take you through another segment's worth of historical Disney facts and potential trivia. As always, let's begin. Starting out this week in Disney history, we start in 1812 with Jacob and Willem Grimm, known as the Brothers Grimm, publishing the first volume of the first edition of Children's and Household Tales, today commonly known as Grimm's Fairy Tales. Among the 86 stories, Rapunzel, Cinderella, Snow White, and Sleeping Beauty all make appearances. In 1888, actress Gladys Cooper, Aunt Mary Drexel in Disney's 67 feature The Happiest Millionaire is born in London, England. Moving on to 1925, Academy Award-winning songwriter and Disney legend Robert B. Sherman is born in Manhattan, New York to Rosa and Al Sherman. In 1933, during a ceremony at the studio, in which he is receiving an award from the Parents Magazine, Walt Disney himself gets word that his pregnant wife Lily is about to deliver. He dashes off to the hospital and arrives just in time to see Diane Marie Disney born. Also in 1933, comedic actor Tim Conway is born in Willoughby, Ohio. He co-starred in the Apple Dumpling Gang, Disney's 75 film, and the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again in 1979, playing the comedic role of Amos Tucker, as well as many other Disney roles in his lifetime. In 1935, the Silly Symphony short Broken Toys, directed by Ben Sharpstein, is released to theaters. In this film, discarded toys at the city dump, led by a toy sailor, decide to repair themselves. In 1941, Walt Disney is called to Washington, D.C. to meet with the Treasury Department and the IRS. He is going to be asked to provide a film to promote paying taxes, and it should be completed by the end of February 1942. In 1952, WED Enterprises is founded as a private company owned solely by Walt Disney to design and create Disneyland, as well as manage Disney's personal assets. WED stands for Walter Elias Disney. Already hard work on hard at work on the theme park project are Walt's first three Imagineers, Harriet Burns, Fred Horger, sorry, probably pronounced that wrong, and Waffle Rogers. In 1986, WED also will be officially renamed to Walt Disney Imagineering, as commonly known today. Moving on to 1961, Disney's first live-action musical feature film, Babes in Toyland, starring Ray Bulger, Tommy Sands, Annette Funicello, and Ed Wynn is released. In 1966, Walt Disney himself unfortunately passes away at St. Joseph's Hospital of acute circulatory collapse caused by lung cancer just 10 days following his 65th birthday. When the news of this reaches Disneyland in Anaheim, Disneyland was in consideration to give the uh, park a closing for the day, but instead it was kept open just as Walt would have wanted. But in response to this, the flags on Main Street USA are lowered to half-mast in respect to him. In 1977, Disneyland's Very Merry Christmas Parade officially debuted. In 1983, Disney's 24-minute Mickey Mouse short, Mickey's Christmas Carol, 
is released as an accompaniment to the re-release of The Rescuers. And also in this same year, the very first Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party premiered at Disney World. In 1984, Disney releases the animated featurette Frankenweenie, directed by Tim Burton, which was a parody of and a homage to the 1931 film Frankenstein. Later in 2012, Burton will remake this story into a full-length feature. And last in 1984, Edna Frances Disney, mother of Roy E. Disney, passed away at the age of 94. In 1989, Star Tours opened at Disney MGM Park, and it is the first attraction to open in the park's new backlot annex area, and will be updated to, as we know, Star Tours 3D, The Adventure Continues, in 2011. In 1998, McDonald's opens a french fry stand inside Disneyland, housed inside a covered wagon in Frontierland. In 2000, Disney's 40th animated film in the Walt Disney Animated Classic series, The Emperor's New Groove, is released. In 2002, Ariel's Grotto, a restaurant located at Paradise Pier in Disney's California Adventure, opens for business officially. In 2004, Mary Poppins' 40th Anniversary Edition DVD is released. And also in 2004, Body Wars, Cranium Command, and The Making of Me reopens at Epcot for the holiday season. In 2009, Roy E. Disney, the son of Disney Studios co-founder Roy O. Disney, and the nephew of Walt Disney, passed away at the age of 79 in Hogue, Memory, sorry, Hogue Memorial Hospital Presbyterian in Newport Beach, California. This is following a year-long battle that he struggled with stomach cancer. In 2012, closing out Disney history this week, we have two facts. Monsters, Inc. 3D is released to theaters for a limited time, and Splitsville in downtown Disney's west side swung open its doors on this day. Splitsville is an upscale bowling, dining, entertainment, and retail center, and is also 50,000 square, square foot, and it's a facility inside a two-story building which in previous incarnations had been home to the Virgin Megastore. Well, D-Heads, that's it for, again this week for Disney history. Hope you enjoyed and learned something maybe that you didn't know. Have a great holiday, and have a great week. See you real soon. Which brings us to where we were. Three minutes, three seconds to Christmas. No chimes, no song, no Santa.
you think this is some sort of drill or something? Oh, beats me, partner. She just had to meet her here immediately. You're late. Ah! Lanny? Wayne? Oh, roasting chestnuts, McGee. What's the deal here? I know as much as you do. Clearly a silent night operation. Your contact is waiting. In there. Good luck. And if something happens to you, I just wanted to say, I'm claiming your snowmobile. I canceled the insurance. Okay, bye. What does she mean if something happens? And who's this contact? Come on, it's the big guy, Slay. It can only be one person. <gasps> Mrs. Mrs. Claus? Shh, shh, shh. Keep your voices down. Would you boys like some hot chocolate? I'm not sure if it's appropriate for a secret meeting. But oh, what the heck? Anything for you prep and landing elves. Aren't you the stealthy ones? <laughs> yep, that's us. Oh, good, because I have an important mission for you. I need your special skills in retrieving this item. A wooden box? It's tucked away in a secure location. Inside Santa's office. Of course, he practically lives... Let's start those projectors and look at this week's Hollywood Walk. wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I know that we are all getting ready for a hot Christmas down here in Australia and I also know that it is very different to the Christmas experience in the US. While you are preparing to eat turkey and sit around the fireplace, I am going to the beach and enjoying fresh prawns or shrimp as you say. I love our summer Christmas. But I also love to watch classic Christmas movies, which of course are all set in the snow. That brings me to this week's special guest, Rick Goldschmidt. We are incredibly lucky to have him here with us today. It is because of this week's special guest that we know so much about the fascinating part of American and entertainment history. Now, Rankin Bass was a fantastic American production company largely known for its television specials, particularly its stop-motion animation. But they did much more than that. Rankin produced movies, TV shows, and books as well. But more on that later. So, now for some background information founded back in the 1960s by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass, originally under the name of Videocraft International. Now, Rankins had something in common with Disney. Where Disney created the world of Imagineering, Rankin was a big in the world of Animagic, which is stop-motion productions that are part stop-motion and part animation. So that's a very magical combination indeed. Now that is not all the two had in common. Disney and Rankin also had a large list of celebrities wanting to be a part of their productions. These include Andy Griffith, Fred Astaire, Red Skelton, Danny Kaye, Mickey Rooney, 
Marlo Thomas, Greer Garson, Mia Farrow, and really, the list does go on and on. And that's right, they can be heard in a long, long list of classic films, including The Wacky World of Mother Goose, Mad Monster Party, King Kong Escapes, also big part of Christmas and the festive spirit. We all love full-length features and TV specials like Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, The Little Drummer Boy, Frosty the Snowman, Twas the Night Before Christmas, A Year Without Santa, and The First Christmas. Now these were all back in the 60s and 70s, so they really are classics, and I think that's pretty special. Rankin and Disney also shared similar stories in a range of different TV series, including The New Adventures of Pinocchio and Tales of Wizard of Oz. The list really does go on. And also part of Christmas produced Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1964. Now, it's not just on the screen that Rankin delights us all, but also in the world of books with most of the beloved stories available in print, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So it is clear that Rankin Bass is a part of family entertainment and the Christmas spirit. I'm now going to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Merry Christmas, D-Heads. Coming Wednesday night, the Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, see Santa Claus, and an incredible snow monster in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Merry Christmas! Wednesday at 8, 7 Central and Northern, here on CBS. Lights, camera, action! It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And with the holidays here, there's a variety of different things that just get you in that holiday mood, that holiday spirit. I, for one, grew up watching Rankin Bass Productions, a variety of different of us. We all have, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus coming to town, and countless others. And with us here this week is somebody that is the historian, the man, the person you want to go to that pretty much knows all the ins and outs of everything Rankin Bass, Rick Goldschmidt. Welcome to Disney On Demand. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, I'm a huge Rankin Bass fan. Aside from my love of Disney, Rankin Bass is my second love, and, you know, when I found out that there was a historian out there, an official website, I've been all over it for years, and of course, the holiday season. Um, I guess, before we jump into everything Rankin and Bass, I guess, what got you, I guess, got you in that direction of being the historian? Well, out of college, um, I went to Columbia College in Chicago and have a degree in illustration and art, and um, I admired the works of Jack Davis, and Paul Coker Jr., um, who designed all of the Rankin-Bass specials. But I knew them more from Mad Magazine and all the commercial work that they did, especially Jack Davis was my favorite artist. And I began talking to him just about how um, he got into the business, and you know, I sent him some of my art and so forth, and we started talking about Rankin Bass because I knew he did Mad Monster Party, a feature film for them, in 68. 
And um, then I saw his name in the King Kong show and some of the other, uh, he designed the Jackson 5 show. And he told me um, that he was still doing work for him, uh, for Arthur Rankin, and so was Paul Coker. And Paul Coker actually uh, gave me Arthur's number in Bermuda. So I called him up there and said I wanted to write a book. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, he probably heard it a, a dozen times before, and no one followed through. And he said, well, send me two chapters. And back then, um, we really didn't, every home didn't have a computer, so it was hard to, I actually had to cut and paste using a friend's computer to put two chapters together. And I sent it out to him, and he liked it, and he knew I was serious, and I just took it from there. And really what, it was a labor of love because he didn't say very much. Um, so I had to kind of scrounge up the photos and, and a lot of the material from, you know, movie conventions and uh, eBay and toy shop, things like that, uh, magazines. Um, so I found a lot of it on my own, and then as I interviewed a lot of the people that worked on the shows, they shared some of the stuff that they had saved, and I kind of pieced together the Rankin-Bass archives. Well, you know, and that's the kind of thing, too, now where, you know, you're the historian, you've pieced it all together, all the archives, because there's so much more to Rankin-Bass than people realize. I mean, we all know Rudolph and Frosty, Santa Claus is coming to town, but there's countless others that we all love. You know, Peter Cottontail, here, uh, the Easter Bunny's coming to town, Pinocchio's Christmas. I mean, there's so many of them out there, but I guess uh, to touch base, of course, with the one that you're probably just, your ears are bleeding talking about all season long, of course, is Rudolph and the 50th anniversary, I guess, Anything that hasn't been covered yet, you know, because you've been just talking your head off to a variety of different outlets. I guess with Rudolph's 50th, I guess, why do you think Rudolph has stuck around for so long? Well, the nice thing about talking about Rudolph on the 50th anniversary is that it's still my favorite special that they did. Um, I had to write a whole book about Rudolph, the making of Rudolph. Um, which I actually wrote at the same age that Robert L. May, who came from my area in Illinois, wrote at at that age. <laughs> it's kind of ironic um, that we have that kind of uh, attachment um, to the character. But I love Rudolph uh, for a variety of reasons, um, uh, mostly because of the look. Um, being an artist, I like the simple designs that Tony Peters came up with for the characters. Um, and he also did uh, Willie McBean and his Magic Machine, which was their first feature film that they made simultaneously with Rudolph. And he designed the new adventures of Pinocchio and Tales of the Wizard of Oz, which was the first two series that Arthur Rankin produced uh, when it was Videocraft International. But Rudolph resonates for so many reasons. It's like Arthur knew talent, and he knew when he saw talent that this is somebody I need to get in my camp, you know? 
so he assembled some of the most talented people, whether they were famous, whether they were experienced, whether they were in a different country. Um, it didn't matter. If he saw talent, he wanted it to come together with Rankin Bass. And it seemed like right at Rudolph, everything worked, you know. And first and foremost is Romeo Muller Jr., who wrote the thing. And he doesn't get enough credit because the storybook by Robert L. May was a very simple book. I think the only thing that they took from the book was that they didn't want Rudolph to play in the reindeer games, you know, um, that whole segment where he's learning to fly and all of that. Um, then Johnny Marks wrote the song, who was uh, Robert L. May's brother-in-law. And it's a great song. It doesn't have a lot in the lyrics about the character, you know. So basically, before the Rankin-Bass special, Rudolph was a very simple story, um, just about a reindeer who had a red nose. And if if you see any of the cartoons from, you know, the 50s or the late 40s, um, that's all it is, you know, a reindeer with red, a red nose and, and not much else. So Romeo wrote The Island of Misfit Toys. He wrote The Bumble, uh, Yukon Cornelius, Hermie the Dentist. You know, these characters are the ones that people always talk about, you know. They talk about the misfit girl, though. They talk about Charlie in the Box, you know. He created all of them uh, with Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass. You know, I'm sure they had a lot of input in the final script because I found at least three versions of the script, and I put one of the first drafts in my book, because it was so different from what they actually shot. It had a bunch of other characters in there. I think a seal and a, a few other animal characters, too. But it's incredible that he wrote something that not only was it for kids, you know, for children, it was for adults, too. And the whole entire family can enjoy Rudolph. And the whole idea of a misfit finding his place in the world is very enticing. It's something you can watch over and over and over again and not get tired of it because it has such a happy ending to it. You know, they do find their place in the world and the characters lighten up and the bumble reforms and becomes a Christmas tree decorator and Santa becomes nice by the end because he's pretty mean at the beginning. So it's, you know, the the story came together and then the music uh, scored by Maury Laws, who I think really does holiday music like no other. Very bouncy, glockenspiel-type music that you just identify with the holidays. And, you know, the voice actors from Canada... Um, Billy Mae Richards, who was a sweetheart, and Paul Souls as Hermie is perfect, and all the voice actors worked, and Burl Ives was probably the most personable character ever in uh, stop-motion animation. You know, Rankin-Bass really took the stop-motion form and gave it personality 
you don't think of them as as puppets. You think of them as real characters, you know. And they're such a part of Christmas now, um, like a Christmas tree or uh, eggnog. You know, the Rudolph TV special has become part of the holiday, and it's because of all the talented people behind it, really. Rudolph is that staple, and so many different characters that everybody loves, you know, from Yukon Cornelius and, you know, King Moonracer, and like you said, Burl Ives, who is no stranger to any Disney fan out there with his plethora of Disney movies. I mean, he just has that warm-hearted voice and that person that you just want to open up your door to. Now, with these characters and so many different things, with Rudolph in the 50th and the great music, now, there's a lot of things out there that some people may know, may not know, and that, of course, is the alternate ending. And, of course, Yukon doesn't have green clothes. They are blue. And also some missing songs. Can you elaborate a little bit more on those before we move on to the uh, extensive library of Rankin-Bass? Well, I tried to help with a 50th anniversary Blu-ray and DVD. In fact, I contacted DreamWorks about a year and a half ago and told them what I have and and what fans want to see on the Blu-ray and DVD. And even on CBS, they don't show a very good print of the show at all, even though they tout it as being a high-definition print. It, it needs a lot of restoral, and it's not very good. Um, same goes with the Blu-ray and DVD. Now, a friend of mine found the original end credits in color. He found the print of the end credits where the elf was throwing the packages off the sleigh with the credits on them, which I actually like better than the ending that they shot in '65. The ending in 65, they go back to the island and all the toys jump in the sleigh and then they get thrown off with umbrellas. But the lettering on the end doesn't match the beginning. It's it's very simple and some of the names are misspelled, including Billy Mae Richards. They spelled it B-I-L-L-Y and it should have been B-I-L-L-I-E because she's a woman. But... I don't know. It's been a struggle to try to get uh, something so iconic as Rudolph to be restored. I don't understand it. They did a better Blu-ray for Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, which I love, but that's not of the same stature of Rudolph. And (laughs) there's so many scenes that need to be extras on the Blu-ray and DVD and and need to be correctly fixed in the show. The, some of the songs warble um, from a bad transfer. Um, like you said, they they mistakenly made Yukon's clothing green on the Blu-ray and DVD. I don't know why. Um, when they show the song Fame and Fortune on CBS, they're showing some of the, the footage from, uh, or not for Fame and Fortune, for uh, We're a Couple of Misfits, they're showing footage from Fame and Fortune, and the song jumps like four or five times, um, like it's skipping, like the record's skipping, and the mouths don't match the lyrics. So I don't know who's handling this stuff, but it hasn't been handled very well at all. Um, unfortunately. Well, you know, and like you said, there's a variety of different things with Rudolph, of course, 
why is it taking so long to get a really good master like Blu-ray done that people want to see restored and make it seem elegant? And, you know, many people aren't aware of uh, some of the songs like Fame and Fortune and some of those that are lost gems or the original 1964 airing of Rudolph, you know, like you mentioned with the uh, different ending where they didn't even go back to the Island of Misfit Toys. Now, you know, stepping aside from Rudolph, and there's so many other things but Rankin Bass other than Rudolph that I love. And that's, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. And of, co- or of course, Frosty the Snowman is another big one. Now that's going to bring me to Frosty for a little bit here because I myself, I love Frosty. And I also love Jimmy Durante. Who You can't go wrong with Jimmy Durante uh, with this. I guess, what is your take on Frosty the Snowman after all these years? Because that still is just a staple as well that's passed on to generations. Yeah, I love Frosty. I can remember watching it when I was very small. And um, again, Rankin-Bass brought personality to a character that was just a snowman beforehand. And also a backstory uh, with the writing of Romeo Muller, you know, how he came to be and, you know, um, just his whole personality that uh, we understand. And they did that with Santa Claus in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, What's interesting about Frosty is why do they show Frosty every year on CBS and then show Frosty Returns, which is an awful um, rendition of Frosty. I remember Arthur Rankin telling me someone sent him a copy of Frosty Returns when it when they first did it, and he said, I'm not going to comment on this. That's like taking the gloves off of Mickey Mouse, you know? It, it just wasn't the same. Now, Rankin-Bass made a very good special called Frosty's Winter Wonderland, where he gets married to Crystal, and Andy Griffith hosted, and that came out on a Disneyland uh, record. Why don't they show that? It's almost like they don't even know it exists. Um, And it's such a good special that could go right behind the original Frosty, which I love. Paul Coker Jr. really um, did, that's his finest hour, I think, because... It looks just like his artwork. I think they did that one at Mushi Studios in Japan. And down from the lettering on the buildings to all of the incidental characters, it's got Paul Coker's name written all over it. And the reason he went to linear animation for that was because he wanted it to look, Arthur wanted it to look like a Christmas card. And Paul Coker did uh, Hallmark cards for so many years. Um, In fact, he still does them uh, for other countries. And, you know, it really has that Christmas card look to it, and I just love that special. It's it's definitely in their top ten. Well, definitely, you know, I mean, and like you said, with Frosty, that is a classic. And then Frosty's Winter Wonderland, like you mentioned, it was released on Disneyland Records, which I still have in my collection, and Andy Griffith narrating. And let's not forget, you have Jack Frost in that one as well. I mean, I even have all the toys that they released a couple years back where you have, you know, the Parson, Jack Frost, Crystal. I mean, it's a great sequel. I agree. That Frosty Returns was... Um, utter garbage. I, I, you know, it's the easiest way to say it. It is horrible. And I have an old Golden Books uh, DVD release with that, and they always have that on there. And I'm like, 
I can't play that one. Frosty it is, and that's and that's the way it's going to be. Now, I will mention the one thing that always gets me with watching Frosty, though, is when they always say that they pulled aside to let a passenger train pass. Well, why do they pull aside when the passenger train is passing behind them? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I, I, I've never really uh, addressed that before, but... Um, another interesting thing is about Frosty is if you get the record album, which I helped produce um, the uh, CD release through Warner Brothers and Rhino Records, um, they put out Santa Claus is Coming to Town with the original Frosty album. On the Frosty record, June Ferre did the voice of Karen as she did for um, some, she did one of the kids' voices too when they're trying to come up with the name of Frosty, and she did the school teacher, but she did the voice of Karen, and it's on the record album. But they got a real girl to do the voice of Karen in Frosty, but they never credited her. <laughs> and I think I asked Arthur Rankin, you know, who did the voice of Karen, and he he couldn't remember. Um, but I think maybe the network or somebody decided they wanted a real little girl's voice and they recut, you know, the soundtrack and put in this girl, but she doesn't get credited, <laughs> which is interesting. Now, you know, aside from the three main classics and the staples that everybody knows, I guess that's going to lead me to some of the lesser known Rankin Bass productions that. I love as well um, a few that were released on Disneyland Records, but pushing along here with some of these that are a little more rare before we get to the popular ones again is, you know, The First Christmas, the story of The First Christmas Snow, as well as Jack Frost, um, you know, the life, and, uh, the life and Adventures of Santa Claus. I mean, these are all great Christmas holiday specials, you know, Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey. Are there any of these lesser-known classics that are truly your favorites? Oh, I like a lot of them. Um, another one that was on Disneyland Records was Twas the Night Before Christmas. And I just put that on not too long ago. I have the Blu-ray. It's unfortunate on the Blu-ray they didn't put any extras, though, because it's such a short special. But um, I really like that one. That was on CBS for a long time, and then they stopped showing it. I don't know why. Um, I love The Year Without a Santa Claus. Um, you know, the songs in that one are, are pretty good, and I like The Heat Miser and Snow Miser. And uh, fortunately, they did do a, a documentary for that Blu ray that I was able to help with, and I'm glad. See, anytime Arthur could talk about his shows in a documentary, uh, I think was a very good thing now that we lost him. Uh, this past January, um, you really want to hear about these things from the creators, you know, as much as you can. And um, he had some favorites, and he had some not-so-favorites. He didn't like The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, uh, their last Animagic special. He, <clears throat> I remember I had him sign, like, a videotape of it for somebody who liked it. And he kind of threw it down on the table and was like, I don't like this one. Um, but he signed it anyway. And I think that that's a pretty good special because it, it it's different. You know, it's, 
it's kind of a a unique take and it's almost a medieval uh take on the story of Santa and uh it's very unique and uh, based on a Frank L Baum story um so i i think on some levels it it was a success and maybe on others it wasn't um the music i don't remember too much of it um i think Maury Laws and Jules Bass always had the best music and I don't think there's any better music than what they wrote for Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Every song in that one is is a good song, you know, something that you'll remember or you can sing or whatever. Um, so that's a strong uh, special for them. Um, I just watched Jack Frost again uh, yesterday, and I forgot how good it looks. Um as they went along towards the later stuff, towards the 80s, the animation got even more refined, you know? Um, it just looked really good, and the quality of the print was really um, sensational. Um, and a lot of people like that that particular special. I kind of watched that one around Groundhog Day, <laughs> because it kind of focuses on that a little bit. Um, so I kind of spread out my watching of uh, of all the Rankin-Bass specials, but there's so many good ones that people don't see anymore. And one I've been talking about a lot in radio interviews is The Little Drummer Boy. Um, such a great special. I think that probably should have won an Emmy for him if Rudolph didn't which it didn't, um, they should have given it to him for that, and a Peabody, too. Because um, for a long time, when I went to CCD, when I was in grammar school, you know, the CCD teacher would say, hey, the little drummer boy is going to be on. And we'd all watch it, and, you know, I could remember getting, like, the nativity snow globes, um, at that time is little gifts from CCD. And it was like, kind of was the meaning of Christmas, you know, which you don't see anymore. I watched some Perry Como, um, old Christmas shows the other night and he ended all of his Christmas shows with the story of the first Christmas, you know, and Rankin Bass did the, the special, the first Christmas, but you barely even see anything like that anymore on television. It's it's all about, you know, Christmas and Black Friday and, you know, the selling of, of Christmas, but nothing about, you know, the reason behind the holiday. So I always loved The Little Drummer Boy. Well, definitely. You know, I mean, The Little Drummer Boy, like you said, it is this uh, elegant piece, and it doesn't get enough credit. It's, you know, it's a gore- gorgeously done. And, you know, I actually have all those figurines that we set up as well around our manger in the house. And speaking of The Little Drummer Boy, I mean, is as great as that is, the music is fantastic, uh, you know, with the, uh, the boys' choir. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. Now, also, that leads me to one that people forget, which is The Little Drummer Boy Book 2. Now, that's a hard one to find as well. <laughs> yeah, fi- they finally put that out through Warner Brothers On Demand with three other other specials that have already been out. Um, so they did release that. At first they said it was part of that, 
the Christmas classics set that came out a few years ago, but it was missing. Like, they forgot to put it on there. Um, and that one did get nominated for an Emmy, which, you know, I think that was the only one. And it still, it had a lot of the qualities of the first one, and I like it a lot, too. It should be on television, you know, both of them should be. The problem with the original, though, is they only have a 16-millimeter B-roll. Um, they can't find the 35-millimeter print, and it was in 35. Um, I think it's in the NBC lockbox in the Library of Congress. Um, somebody needs to go and look for it, but um, until they decide to show it on the networks, I don't think anybody's going to find it. I guess, and speaking of, you know, mangers and those kind of, like, great reason for the season, um, Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey, that's also a fantastic one about the donkey that, you know, carried Mary and everybody with this clumsy... It's almost like a Dumbo tale, but done for the manger, and that has some beautiful music in it as well. Oh, yeah, and... That was another Romeo Muller uh, gem, and uh, it kind of worked in the Bambi storyline where his mother, he loses his mother, and, um, you know, she keeps saying, heirs Nestor, and he keeps hearing that. You know, it's it's pretty uh, touching. Um, it has heart to it, and a lot of that came from the writing uh, by Romeo. It was sort of a a Rudolph storyline, you know, where he wasn't fitting in and then he found use for his heirs and and so on and so forth. Um, but it had a lot of uh, elements to it that made it work because I've watched that one quite a few times. That's on the, uh, the Year Without a Santa Claus Blu-ray too, um, but they didn't put that one on there in high definition. They just transferred it over, but... Yeah, I think that's that's high up on the list of successful Rankin-Bass specials. I was telling somebody earlier, I think their success rate was about 95%. You know, I don't think they had too many clunkers in there, um, things that just totally didn't work. You know, most of them worked to some degree, and... Um, it's amazing that they were able to do that many things uh, with such a high quality level. They did about 37 specials and at least a dozen Saturday morning series and a bunch of movies. <laughs> you know, they did a lot of stuff. And when you usually, when you do a lot of stuff like that, the work suffers somewhere. But for the most part, they they were had a high success rate yeah definitely and like you said they have so many great specials that we could you know talk about especially just with the with the christmas holiday alone i mean you have rudolph and frosty's christmas in july rudolph's shiny new year um you know the first christmas the story of the first christmas snow where it has irving berlin's white christmas in it you know voiced by angela lansbury but there's also so many others that i love as well um you know mad monster party um the easter bunny is coming to town here comes peter cottontail Cricket on the Hearth, um, Mouse on the Mayflower. I mean, there's so many great ones out there. Now, I guess aside from some of these classics and the holiday classics that I think are great and um, the other ones as well, you know, like Willie McBean and his Magic Machine, um, it's just really great ones. Now, for the children of the 80s, 
Now that's going to bring me to some of the things that people don't realize that Rankin Bass was behind, like Thundercats. Um, I guess what are your what are your thoughts of that? Because that was you know for myself, uh, you know I, I'm almost forty years old here. You know to me Thundercats was awesome in the eighties, and uh, I guess uh, how do you how do you look back at some of those things like Thundercats and um, Silverhawks? I guess what are your thoughts on some of those? Well, um, they came out after my uh, Saturday morning viewing. Um, I I was in college at that time, so I wasn't all that familiar with them, you know, when they were on. But as I look back at them and I see how they were crafted, um, you know, I have the folders and archives of Thundercats and Silverhawks and all of that. I see once again that Arthur was smart in that he knew this would be a success, that it would tie into a whole generation of kids that more or less, um, there were a lot of morals in there, and um, there was a merchandising um, thing going on with Thundercats, and um, it, it was a big success, you know? It was something that, he could see that it would be successful, and it was, <laughs> you know. So you got to hand it to him for doing it. I mean, it was so different than their specials, and it was so different than the movies he was doing. Um, you would almost not even think it was a Rankin-Bass thing. But again, he got talented people. He did something that he knew would work, and it did work. Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible that he was able to figure all that out, you know, from just an idea or, um, you know, (laughs) something that wasn't fully thought out, you know, in, in the planning stages that it was going to be something that would work and it did. So I kind of look at it like it's not my thing. It's not something that that I'm like a huge fan of um, or that I really understand, but I do admire the fact that so many people love it. I heard that um, that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is a big Thundercats fan, and you know, people of that age, it was a big thing for them, and I can understand that. You know, when my son was was young, at one point he got into Transformers, even though that was a a little bit earlier uh, from the 80s, I think. Um, He kind of liked that, and, you know, they turned that into a movie franchise. So it's interesting, you know. It's, It's a different generation of fans, but it's something that means a lot to a lot of people, and it's part of the Rankin Bass catalog, so I think it's a good thing, you know. Well, definitely, and there's so many different things from their catalog, too, that I personally really enjoy. That, uh, you know, they also have The Hobbit, The Return of the King, which, you know, that now with the movie franchise and the movies the way they are, I mean, The Hobbit and Return of the King from Rankin Bass was kind of my first introduction to the Lord of the Rings franchise. And then also, you know, you have Peter Beagle's book, The Last Unicorn, which. My children still love watching The Last Unicorn. The music from America in that film is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and that one came out on Blu-ray. 
Um, and I've been in touch with Peter S. Spiegel uh, through Facebook, and he's a pretty nice guy. Um, again, that's something totally different. I remember when that movie came out and uh, seeing uh, Ebert and Siskel review it. And um, at that time, I was kind of into the police. <laughs> and I remember Sting made a movie called Brimstone and Treacle right at the same time. So I really, I wasn't going to see like animated features at that time. Um, but I remember they gave it a good review and there were such a great cast of famous actors in that one, Jeff Bridges and Christopher Lee and Mia Farrow and, you know, and I picked it up on Blu-ray. It's, I really like America too. I'm a big fan of their music and I think it works well in the movie. And I think Jules Bass had a lot to do with, um, getting Webb to write the songs and getting America to perform them. Um, so that was a whole nother unique uh, thing for them. And then The Hobbit and Return of the King, I can remember one of my friends, you know, read the books and he was excited that there were finally going to be shows on, you know, the first time he would ever see the characters and and the first one won a Peabody um the second one Return of the King that's one of the movies that Arthur slammed down on the table and said I don't like this one and I think it was because they had to cram a lot into that story um I think they put together two of the books and he didn't think that it was that successful but The Hobbit was a big winner for them and uh, I got to uh, help with a documentary called Ringers, which was about the Tolkien um, fandom and also the um, the different movies with the actors from the movies in it. And I actually got to go to Sundance to see the premiere of it. And they said I saved the movie because they needed some Rankin Bass imagery in the documentary. It was kind of a cool uh, documentary, and it's it's out on DVD too. So that was kind of fun. Very cool. Well, you know, we know that you have so many different things, you know, going on. So many things in the horizon. You know, it's a peak season for you. I'm sure people are calling you left and right and getting things, but. There's so much more I could touch base upon with Rankin Bass. I mean, as you can tell, I have an, uh, an affinity and love for Rankin Bass as much as I do for Disney. And um, there's so much more that we could explore here. But I guess in closing things here, with people who, you know, they grow up, they love Rankin Bass. Rudolph, Frosty, a uh, number of them that we've already mentioned. Um, now, one last thing here, looking back, I forgot to mention this earlier, with the year without a Santa Claus, everybody loves the Heat Miser, the Snow Miser. But they also made a really bad live-action film. And then what did you think of the stop-motion animated sequel that they made called The Miser Brothers that wasn't made by Rankin-Bass? Well, I turned that sequel on uh, for about two minutes just to see what it was, you know. And right away I could tell it was something I didn't like. (laughs) Um, I have trouble with character design and you know, things holding my attention. And I can't find a whole lot of new things that hold my attention and have good character design. It's just, 
it starts with that for me because I'm an artist. So I didn't like it at all. <laughs> you know, it was like I couldn't watch it, um, unfortunately. And yeah, the year without a Santa Claus, it's funny. Um, people don't remember the name of that special, but they remember the heat miser and snow miser and, uh, they're such flamboyant characters, um, probably the most memorable of the bunch. Um, you know, everybody, when you say Rankin Bass, sometimes people are like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You have to say, well, they're the producers, Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass, who did Rudolph. Oh, yeah, I know them. But... Um, they always say, yeah, they eat miser and snow miser, but they don't know it's the year without a Santa Claus, which was based on a Phyllis McGinley book that was a Pulitzer Prize winner, um, which is funny. Um, but the heat miser and snow miser are probably the most memorable characters of the bunch. And I just wrote a new book called, uh, well, it doesn't have much writing in it, but it's called The Arthur Rankin Scrapbook. And um, with the passing of Arthur Rankin, um, I wanted to do something that kind of commemorates his his life. And we found the very first scrapbook that he kept at Dentsu, which is the Japanese studio. He did The New Adventures of Pinocchio. And um, you get to see, like, how he did the special or the the uh, series, it's pretty fascinating. Um, that's the way I, I think of Arthur um, as a person. He made this stuff happen. Um, he was a go-getter, and he was very driven. And um, I wanted to kind of showcase that, like, right when he first started um, in the business. And it's it's kind of an interesting look at, you know, his life, um, because I also included um, some of the stuff in Bermuda because I went to his 90th birthday memorial in July and uh, spoke there, met all of his family and friends, his closest friends, and got to see, like, how he kept his den with the stuff that I sent him and, you know, some of the things he would talk about, but he wouldn't really show me. They were going to do a sequel to Mad Monster Party called Mad Monster Reunion, Mad Mad Monster Reunion. And he would only barely talk about it because he felt like if I if I put the news out on that, it would never happen. You know, he was always like that. And I, I talk a little bit about um, they were going to do Willie McBean and his Magic Machine as their first series with Translux, who did Felix the Cat and later put out Speed Racer, I believe. Um, but that deal fell through, and maybe since then he always kept what he was going to do next under wraps <laughs> unless it happened, you know. Uh, he got superstitious that way. Um, so a lot of the projects he would talk to me about, he would tell me, well, that's not for print, you know, don't write about that yet. <laughs> and some of the stuff never happened. So I put some of that in the book too. 
um, some of the projects that he started, but he never finished. And it's kind of an interesting look at his life. I think he was he was the reason Rankin Bass did what they did. You know, he was the driving force behind it. If it wasn't for him, nothing would happen. <laughs> Uh, so Rudolph was something he made happen w- under whatever means he could do it, you know, and, and that included going to Canada and recording on the cheap because they they weren't that expensive to hire. And maybe at that time they were still not sure that General Electric was going to foot the bill, you know, uh, but they did end up paying for all the Rankin-Bass specials that came afterwards. That's why they never owned their own specials. Um, General Electric started a company called Tomorrow Entertainment, and then they sold everything to Warren Michaels at Broadway Video, and then he sold it to Golden Books and Classic Media, which is now part of DreamWorks. So interesting (laughs) it's such an interesting story and so many different things that they've done that have played part in people's lives and like you said they're not actually sure that you know who they are at first and you tell them and it's like oh there you go but you know people that have brought together so many great specials great things that have played parts in everyone's lives with the holiday season you know rudolph frosty santa claus numerous ones for all of our Disney fans out there, pull out those Disneyland records. Frosty's Winter Wonderland, Twas the Night, a lot of great stars behind many of these specials, too. You know, they've worked with, you know, Danny Kaye, Fred Astaire, Burl Ives, Mickey Rooney. I mean, the list goes on and on, but we know you're busy. So many different things on the horizon. So I guess before we let you go here, is there any final words that you want to leave out there for anyone that has grown up with any special from Rankin and Bass? Well, we always talk about the heart and the warmth that comes from these specials. And unfortunately, um, that's something that's missing in today's entertainment. You know, people's attention span now with the iPhones and, you know, every all these media stuff, Netflix and everything, they kind of lose sight of what a true um, story with heart is all about. You know, everything has to be so satirical and flashy and and uh, 15 second time span you know attention span um i think the rank and best specials are resonating and, and lasting 50 plus years because of that heart and and that's what makes them special um you can't get around that and and i'm proud to be associated with them because you can't get any better than that, you know. Um, it wasn't all about, you know, making a buck. It was it was about doing stuff right so that people would enjoy it and it would last 50-plus years. Definitely. You know, Will, it was our pleasure having you in and talking with us. I'm sure we're going to have you back. There's so many different things we could explore. But with the holiday seasons, I just want to say Merry Christmas from us to you, and it was a pleasure having you stop in and chat with all of us here this week. Merry Christmas, and thanks for having me, Jonathan. You know Dasher, and Dancer, and Prancer, and Vixen, Comet, and Cupid, Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall the most famous reindeer 
are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC-82. Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the vault. Well, we've made it closer and closer to that Christmas season, and my eggnog is ready. And as promised... We are going to finish up our part two of a great Blu-ray movie combo. Last week, we discussed Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. This week, we go right in to Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas, and we'll discuss the differences that are more than just in the title. Lots of fun to be had with this fine film. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas is very similar from its counterpart, Once Upon a Christmas. In this tale, brought to us in November of 2014, we are introduced to five fine features. Our first segment involves Minnie and Daisy in an ice skating competition called Bells on Ice. Showing that neither can be outdone, Minnie and Daisy skate in front of a large crowd and for their boyfriends, Mickey and Donald. In some instances, they may perform high kicks and low stunts. Some even involve bringing in Hyacinth Hippo and the Crocodiles from Fantasia. All in all, it's good-spirited competition. That is, until Minnie becomes injured after slipping. Daisy then helps Minnie 
and the two apologize, ending this feature together in a grand finale. Our second feature features the triplets Huey, Dewey, and Louie celebrating Christmas once again. In our last feature, we know how much they love Christmas, so in Twice Upon a Christmas, it doesn't surprise us that they're back again. This time, we're celebrating at Uncle Scrooge's mansion. The triplets this year are rather frightened that they're on the naughty list, and they travel to the North Pole to get on Santa's good list. Of course, being in the workshop, they can cause nothing but trouble. I mean, that's what they are most known for. But in doing so, have caused so much trouble that they fear that they've almost ruined Christmas. Feeling that they made up for their wrongdoings by cleaning up the workshop, they are almost ready to put themselves on the good list, but instead add Uncle Scrooge. But it's not until Christmas Day where Santa leaves the triplets a note telling them what good kids they are, and they too were on the nice list. Our third story features Goofy and Max. Once again, you can't go wrong without a little goof troop action. This time we're seeing Max a little bit older, bringing his friend Mona over to meet Goofy. Of course, when your father is Goofy, you kind of aren't certain exactly how he's going to react in certain situations. So it isn't surprising that when Max does bring Mona home, he's a little nervous as to how his dad's going to react and quite frankly how Mona's going to react to him. And in typical Goofy fashion, he's showing Mona baby pictures, giving bad scarves, and all around being the goof that Goofy is. But you know, that's why Max loves him. And who couldn't love a goof like Goofy? Well, that is until a popcorn machine goes a little crazy and explodes all over. But, in the same token, we are revealed that Mona isn't too different than the goofs. And we soon see that the Christmas magic falls amongst all three. Our fourth story, Donald's Gift, truly is a Donald-centric story. We all know Donald has a temper, and with the Christmas season being as stressful as it is, Donald's temper can get the best of it. All Donald wishes is for some peace and quiet when he returns home from his Christmas shopping. However, the world has something against him, and he probably believes that anyway. From annoying Christmas carols, to well-wishers, to some annoying shoppers, Donald cannot get a break. Finally, when Daisy and the nephews arrive, all they want to do is go out and enjoy the Christmas festivities. Donald, being the temperamental duck that he is, says no, but Daisy, being the firm woman that she is, says yes, pulls him out, and he cannot escape the wicked song in his head, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. But it's his guilt that finally gets the best of him and realizes that it is the warmth of the song and the season that finally melts him to be the calmer duck that he can be. Our final segment, Mickey's Doggone Christmas, stars our dear friend Mickey as he decorates for his Christmas party. Pluto basically destroys the Christmas tree. Mickey is furious and sends Pluto out to his doghouse. And what does any sad dog do during the holidays but run away and finds himself in the North Pole? where a group of reindeer adopt him. 
Nikki is never to be one to hold a grudge and goes out to apologize, but notices Pluto's missing and searches frantically to find his poor friend. He eventually turns to a department store Santa, who, by the way, most of them happen to be the real one, and tries to plead for Pluto to come home. Meanwhile, back in the North Pole, Pluto becomes just as homesick and wishes to return home. He does so and helps complete the Christmas decoration, and everyone celebrates Pluto's return. And of course, with his return, the perfect Christmas party. These five tales complete Twice Upon a Christmas, a true modern Disney Christmas classic. Now, there's one major thing that makes Once Upon a Christmas different than Twice Upon a Christmas. Other than adding one more story and the title change, this is the first time we see the Fab Five rendered in 3D. Yes, we've seen them rendered in many video games, uh, one notably for a great GameCube game, if you are still a gamer out there and everyone should be at heart. But this is the first time in a series that we see a change in the way in which Nikki and friends look. Very similarly to the change in which we are now seeing in the new Mickey shorts that are appearing on the Disney Channel and online. I will admit, it did take me a long time for this 3D rendition of Mickey to grow on me. But you know, from his early incarnations to where we see him today, Mickey will always be the mouse that makes us smile. Now, if you are ready to go out there and pick up this Blu-ray, what are you going to receive? Well, you're going to receive both Once Upon a Christmas, Twice Upon a Christmas, and some deleted scenes. That's it! But to be honest, what more do you need for a great Christmas film? You just need a warm cocoa, maybe a nice soothing eggnog, and those around you watching with a big grin on their face. So come on, get out from wrapping those presents, trim the tree, and sit down and watch Once Upon a Christmas and or Twice Upon a Christmas. Or heck, go all out, it's Christmas. Watch them both at the same time. Well, well, not at the same time, but one after another. You'll be glad you did. Well, gang, the curtain's coming down and the popcorn's empty. It can only mean one thing. It's time to say goodbye to you and all my company. But fear not, my friends. The presents that are flowing out from the vault are just beginning. 2015 looks like to be a wonderful year when it comes to new Blu-ray releases, and I will be giving them to you in abundance. Well, at least until I start getting them, and, well, Santa knows my list. So until then, gang, we'll see you next week when another Blu-ray comes out from the vault to you from me. Until then, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is just a snowfall away and inside of all of you. You've loved them for years. Bye-bye, everybody. It's perfect. You're going to be great. Now, see them in an all-new holiday adventure. Launch! Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. Minnie, it's me. This is Minnie Mouse. Leave me a message and have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> this is definitely a problem. There can only be one name for this dog. Want to hear it? Please. Murray. Oh. Murray. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Merry Christmas. Oh, my head. Mickey's Murray. Murray's Pluto? Bingo. Bingo's Pluto? Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. This is gonna be awesome! That's a wrap. <laughs> you see, I'm a rapping elf, and I said that to you. Oh, forget it. Hello, hello, D-heads. Paige here with an all-new Christmas Magical Music Review. Sorry for my absence, but the end of the semester has always been a busy time for me, and my apologies, I do have a bit of a cold attacking me this week. We are a week away from my favorite holiday, Christmas, which means I get to dig out my Christmas music. Over the years, Disney has released many great films to celebrate the season, and our soundtrack today comes from the 1992 film The Muppet Christmas Carol, starring Kermit the Frog, Gonzo the Great, Rizzo the Rat, Michael Caine, and a slew of other famous Muppets, it's a charming musical telling of the classic Christmas story. Michael Caine is the infamous Ebenezer Scrooge, and Kermit is Bob Cratchit. The music is by Miles Goodman and Paul Williams, and the score and songs help bring the story to life, as only they can in a Muppets movie. I have three songs queued up and ready for us, so off we go to 19th century London with the Muppets Christmas Carol. With an urgent and even mysterious entrance to the orchestration, our first song has begun. Sung by a variety of Muppets, we are introduced to our main character, Scrooge. In the orchestration, we have woodwinds, violins, percussion, and low and high brass. In other words, we've covered our bases and instruments for this number. The lyrics consist of all the different descriptions that exist for Scrooge, the townspeople's speculations about him, and all of their general thoughts of him. You could be left in no doubt of what this cast thinks of Scrooge from the very first lines. Truly my favorite song in the film. Take a listen and enjoy. Thanks. He lets his hunger rule. And being means no way of life. 
work is paying off Cause Scrooge is getting worse Yeah, every day in every way Scrooge is getting worse It wouldn't be a Muppets movie without a song for Kermit. As I mentioned earlier, Kermit fills the role of Bob Cratchit, and as he and the other bookkeepers lock up the counting house for the day on Christmas Eve, it's the perfect opportunity for a song. One More Sleep Till Christmas is a very light-hearted song. A simple start with piano, oboe, and French horn, the instrumentation builds as more players come in, such as bells, a little accordion, and even a harp, followed along by more woodwinds and trumpet. But the sound never leaves the mood set at the beginning of the piece. The entire thing is light and cheerful, a Christmas song through and through. Kermit sings the song solo, describing the mood that sets in at Christmas time, especially on Christmas Eve night. Just listening to it now, I can't wait until there's only one more sleep till Christmas. How about you? majestic opening, Thankful Heart rings in as our final piece today. Sung by Michael Caine as Scrooge, the listener can be left with no doubt that Scrooge has had a change of heart. In the instrumentation we find woodwinds, high and low brass, percussion, bells, and violins. It's full of excitement and cheer. Now is Michael Caine the best singer in the Disney library? Maybe not, but here's why I love his singing. You can just feel the excitement and enjoyment in his voice. In the behind-the-scenes feature for the film, Paul Williams, our composer, said that Michael Caine was eager to sing with the Muppets and came in and said, I don't know how to do this, but I'll do it anyway. When you can just feel the actors enjoying themselves in the performance, that sells a song to me. What do you think? a friendly a friendly On a sea of love and a thankful heart Life is like a journey Who knows when it ends 